Hi, and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, David Bentham, Director of Sales Development at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. The Blueprint Sales Workshop. I uh, hope, hope y'all are having an amazing day. We are here. Oh, we have some technical difficulties, but we are here, y'all. So real quick before we go into this, uh, let us know where you're tuning in from. Let us know what's going on. Um, also, as well, let us know your role, uh, where you're tuning in from and also what your role is before we dive into it. Uh, we will go right into this, uh, get tactical. And if you do have any questions, by the way, feel free to put them in the Q&A. Uh, you can put them in the chat, but Q&A is a lot easier. It allows us to dive in. But again, for everybody tuning in, let us know you're tuning in from, let us know where you're at, and then let us know your role. Uh, and then we're going to dive into the blueprint and, and really help you all on your strategies, your frameworks and systems in order to be better leaders. So before we do that, I have Dave here. I have John here. Uh, if you all want to quickly introduce yourselves, then we'll get into it. Cool. We'll follow the order. So um, pleasure to meet everyone. So um, my name is John. I run the global sales team here at Cognizant. Uh, quick story. So I've been at Cognizant roughly five years. Um, started as an SDR, was an AE, now managing our, our global sales team. So excited to discuss our, our blueprint with everyone today. And the past Dave. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Dave. I'm the VP of Global Sales Development. So I run um, Cognizant's uh, sales development function, uh, both inbound and outbound. Um, I started here four and a half years ago. So I joined just pre-Series A after John had done all the hard work to get us to Series A. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, we've taken off since then. It's really good. Really good to be on. Awesome. Uh, well, again, appreciate everybody chiming in. We've got the head of marketing. We have senior business development managers, business directors. And, you know, if you're a leader today, this is what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to talk about why is the blueprint important? How's Cognizant used it in actual approach across the board for every single topic here? So we're going to go over high and ramping, high impact coaching, outbound strategy, forecasting, and commission plans. But for everybody listening in, obviously, you know, one of these topics is probably the most important. If you had to point to a topic that you're the most excited to learn today or has been a struggle in your business, let us know in the chat. Is it yeah, hiring ramping? Is that really going the way I want it to? Let us know in the chat. Or, hey, look, forecasting, I don't really know exactly how to go about that right now due to everything in the market. Put that in the chat as well. Our goal here today is to give you the actual insights on what to do, but it's the best when we have context on where you are struggling or why you're showing up here today and, and taking the time to learn from us. So let us know in the chat out of these five, right? High and ramping, high impact coaching, outbound forecasting and commission plans. Let us know. Uh, we're going to make sure to dive into that and feel free to ask questions as we dive into it. So, you know, none of these things don't matter unless you hire appropriately and you ramp appropriately. So we obviously looking at from the SDR side and the AE side, and we want to make sure our hiring process is, is good. So Dave, you've hired a ton of SDRs and tell us what exactly do you look for when you're doing your hiring? Yeah. Um, really great question. So, um, I think that, so for SDR specifically, um, I think for me, experience doesn't mean too much. Um, I'm a really big believer that if we set up the right enablement internally, we can get the, as long as someone has the right character, we can, we can teach them the SDR skills required very quickly. And also like, I think, you know, I think we all know SDRing is a really, really hard job. I don't think it's the kind of job that people do for years and years and years. Um, and because of the energy that's required to it. So I really want to take 
advantage of kind of people that are new to um, sales have that high energy already and, and, and yeah, can, um, and can, and, you know, use that in, uh, to their advantage. So really we're looking for, you know, ordinarily we're looking at people that have just left um, education and moving industries, um, et cetera, haven't done sales before. Um, and, the characteristics I'm looking for are uh, number one and probably the most important thing is I want um, I want natural high achievers. So I'm looking for uh, a history of high achievements, something that they've done in the past that shows that they've pushed things to the next level. Um, I always give the example, you might have seen this before for me, but like if you're the world champion Tiddlywinks player or if you, you know, maybe you, um, I don't know, like, you pushed uh you pushed to be the president of a society at college or university um you know whatever it might be you've gone from you you're, you haven't settled at being kind of average amongst the group you've really pushed uh, to go further and i think i think that's something that's incredibly difficult to teach and so that's what one thing that i really like to see you know a lot of uh, I think everybody should you know see the synergy between like athletes and um and uh salespeople morgan i know you're a massive kobe bryant fan um so you know and i think that you can draw a lot from him and how amazing he was um uh like into sales so so that's that's thing number one and then outside of that i think um there's two other uh i suppose yeah two other pieces number one accountability um i'm really really massive believer that all great salespeople are accountable you know it's uh this is more of a red flag moment but like if if i um see someone that's coming from an uh another uh company and they're very critical of that old company you know you can kind of tell from the way that they they talk about um issues um that they aren't someone that self-analyzes and you know takes responsibility um you know, so 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 really looking for people that, that kind of want to take that that accountability. And then the final thing is curiosity. Now, curiosity is super advantageous when uh, at, for all salespeople in terms of um, of understanding um, who you know, like in t- when you're speaking to prospects, showing genuine interest, um, learning about pains, etc. But also, I kind of bucket curiosity into this drive for self-development. You know, I find curious people really want to continue to learn. Um, that's, um, you know, again, I think it helps keep uh, SDRs motivated um, and, and moving forward. So, um, I, I, yeah, those would be my three things: high achievement, uh, curiosity, and um, uh, and like I say, accountability. If we want to double tap on something you said, Dave, and then we'll go to John here. You talked about one of the things that could be a uh, like a gentle flag, but red flag is like maybe if they have like a lot of experiences in SCR because it's the opposite of no experience is something that you don't look for. So a lot of experience could be one. You mentioned some other red flags as well. Could you talk about some other things that you look at that's like, whoa, that's a red flag. I would not hire this person. And why? I think that's important uh, just on top of what you look for as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, So just on the experience piece, I think generally speaking, most top performing SDRs at organizations will move into other roles. Right. There's, there are exceptions to the rules always, but generally speaking, you know, like our top S- SDR performers are, will, you know, move into account executives, they move into account management roles, um, customer success roles, SDR management roles. Right. So if you've, 
it, for me, if you got lots and lots and lots of experience in an SDR role, sometimes, unless you found this this unicorn that is someone that is just obsessed mm-hmm. with SDRing and wants to stay in SDRing forever. Um, but I really, you know, I, I've you know I've been in this industry for a while now, and I've not met one of them, Morgan. I'm sure that they you know, you've met a handful at best that are just absolutely obsessed with that. Yep. Um, um, I uh, yeah, that that's why I tend to avoid them because it usually implies they've kind of like average performers. Um, the um, I suppose like on that note as well, if someone, uh, you know, again, it's a massive cliche, but I, if people have. Uh, moved on from jobs at the three month six month mark type mark or even less than a year on like repeated occasions yep. um then i you know i i'm very wary of that but i'd also extend that to things like you know uh people that have been college dropouts or um i'm trying to think you know what else just, just generally when you're discovering their story if they're the sort of pe- people that kind of like duck at the first issue um that is a big concern for me right like you know we know sales is hard there's going to be those moments where things don't go your way and like you need to just stick through them right like there's no i I doubt anybody again like you know be a unicorn situation if you found a salesperson that didn't have a story about like when things were really tough and and um and you had to just kind of fight through them um certainly i've got one of those stories where my manager i was going on holiday for two weeks from australia to the uk uh, where I lived and my manager before I went said look like go on your holiday but when you come back like I need you to make a decision like I don't think you're su- you're you're suited for this role and then I came back and I stuck with it and, and you know really what it was very positive and worked itself out of that but like right. you know, I could have easily just gone back to the UK stay in the UK so I think those um uh yeah those are the the, the things that, that spring to mind immediately I'm sure that there's there's I'm sure there's so many others but uh, right now um those are the two things that spring to mind no, I appreciate you sharing that. I believe that's important. Okay, so now you hire the SDR, they do well. To your point, I, I've only I've only literally met like 13, 14 people that are life for SDRs and they just love it. But that's so it's so rare that you so rare. like it's so rare. And those are just yeah. those are just gems, right? And like, those, okay, you, you know, like I, I I can think of two and like one became a consultant, right? And did it for mm. multiple companies because they loved it so much, but gave themselves that lifestyle and made right. it into a business, right? And then um, you know, I think, yeah, if you're that obsessed with SDRing, I think you probably take a path like me. I'm obsessed with SDRing, but like, you know, I've, I've chosen to, 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 to try and lead a group now. Right. So exactly. again, like, you know, I think it's rare. So John, let's go to you. We now have these kind of executives. So this is a two, a two parter question because you can mm-hmm. find the ideal AE candidate within your organization, or you can make the decision to hire outside of the organization. So yep. how are you making these decisions as you scale the team to hire internally or well, we need to get more people externally? I know this have, probably have to do with segmentations, enterprise, and market, but I'm curious on how you look at yeah. this. Yeah, so we made a very hard rule in the organization that we always want to... I think it's much easier to get high-performing talent much earlier on in, in the SDR world than it is to get high-performing talent in the AE world from an external standpoint. Like as Dave alluded to, like the best salespeople are earning good money and particularly at an A level, like if you've got a pipeline of 12 months, like it's going to be very, very difficult to walk away from that pipeline. So our philosophy has always been internal first. Um, so I think it's really, really good to systemize it and quantify it um, work out that criteria that you, you deem to be a successful A and you'll probably have a very good indication from the rep if they're internal on their performance, their work ethic and stuff like this. Some of 
key traits I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute, but really have like a, a benchmark in terms of what the minimum is to go through. And if they don't meet that minimum, absolutely. And you need to grow the organization scale and look external. Um, but I think it's really important to quantify um, and don't base it on gut, like really break out that whatever your interview process is, um, we get them to do like a discovery call and then a follow-up and then we score that. Um, and for us, like we've scaled, um, I think it's around 85% of our teams come from um, internal hires into our account executive team. And we've only really had like one or two that have kind of not met the mark. So I think when you set that foundation um, and that minimum, if it works, it works. Just keep keep repeating that. Um, external is a little bit different, right? Like that's that, and the most successful external candidates I've seen have always been referral led, um, like give or take. But um, that there are key attributes that stand out for these external ones, and you, you do need to be a little bit more rigorous in your approach when you do the interview comparative to an internal. Um, yeah, that's kind of how we scaled the, the organization. So, ah, uh, one question here and then we'll go back to dave the 369 and then we'll talk about yours as well you mentioned that you scored the discovery call how did you score that uh discovery call some people in here probably are wondering okay like yeah i'm hiring aes right now like how are you scoring that yeah so introduction uh agenda setting then we go mm -hmm. into the actual discovery itself and some of the like the core attributes for looking there is like the ability to do active listening so if I give you a nugget of gold in a particular sentence, I could frame your whole discovery. Um, so are they actually picking up on stuff like that? And then are they digging into the pain that's associated to that? Like what's the implication of that particular pain that that particular persona is feeling? Going into the actual demo, sometimes, and this is the art of it as well. Sometimes like when we do the interviews, like we're not looking them to actually demonstrate the product. Mm. All we're doing for them to look to do is like really work out what a good next step is. And that good next step might be, to get an introduction to someone lower down in the organization it might be to get an introduction to someone higher up so it's understanding the context of who you're speaking to um getting the information that you need and then cementing hard next steps on, on the back of that um but yeah like i think key things that i would look for if i was going to hire an ae um like inquisitive nature are they coachable work ethic for me is a huge one i think that you, you cannot train work ethic um, and as an AE, if you're running 12-month sales cycles, you need to have someone who's um, driven and speedy responses, can do stuff concisely, that intelligence level. Um, yeah, that's some of the key ones I would look for. Yeah, and that transitions into like this next piece here, which is, you know, you talked about scenario-based interview questions. But Dave, going back to you, if you're looking for this 30, 60, 90, how are you making sure that once the SDRs in the organizations, they're being onboarded appropriately? So they're not like, all right, like I'm looking somewhere else or they're confused, right? And you have to go hire a new person and you know how those labor costs work. Yeah, for sure. I I, I think like, um, so we're, I've always been quite serious about my onboarding process. Number one, because obviously, you know, like the, the shorter the onboarding time, the, the um, better it is for, for the business. But I think secondly, also, if we've got a really professional and slick onboarding process, it really sets the tone for the SDRs in terms of like their performance levels moving forward. Um, you know, like they will kind of act, they'll almost mirror like exactly uh what we do and if everything's really like ad hoc and scrappy then uh perhaps um they, that will reflect in their work um we for sdrs we we try and i'm a really big believer on getting them on the phones as uh and and doing the outreach as quickly as possible um so we 
we have like four days worth of classroom training in their first week um and then on the fifth day so usually that that's a friday we'll, we'll we'll get them on we'll try and get them on the phones in the afternoon uh we don't want to burn good fit accounts so we actually give them um accounts that are in kind of like just outside our of our icp um so generally we're targeting mid or uh uh, SDR teams are targeting mid-market and outbound, so we might give them, you know, uh, SMB accounts that still kind of fit within generally who we're signing. So it's not completely useless, but it doesn't really matter if, if they get things wrong. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Um, and then once we've gone through that, then we do two um, training sessions a week uh, for the next three months, um, followed by a... Um, uh, followed by like a test at the end of the three months um, uh, to kind of identify any gaps that we might have seen in the onboarding. Uh, here in the UK, we obviously have probation periods. And so as a UK headquartered company, we've we've kind of mirrored that like across all regions. Our probation periods are six months. So really kind of that three-month mark um, is a time for us to assess any of the gaps, um, hopefully fix them over the, the, the following three months. Mm. Um, and, with with ultimately the six month part being the 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 moment where we say look is this uh, you, you know is this going to be a mutual fit uh, both ways so that should give us enough time um, and then obviously you know we want to make it as interactive as possible we do um, we have we're big fans of Kahoot quizzes if um, which became very popular over lockdown uh, I think mm-hmm. for uh, people on a personal basis but we use them for you know we'll we'll reinforce training with different Kahoot quizzes like the, um, as, as we go through etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah that's generally how we're we're, we're running it uh, right now. And the, and then John same to you so what's the thirty sixty nine look like and then also as well like where what are you adding in to make sure people feel comfortable all that they're prepared to sell cool good question um i'm i'm very in the same mindset as dave in terms of just getting in the deep end um when we're hiring these sellers like i think the way that we set up our account effective management structure um they're very hands-on with the reps um during that initial period so they come into that role. We have standard like a week of uh, getting to understand the market and the product, um, lesson D, lesson D courses and stuff like that. But they have to go through just to get basic understanding of the product. Uh, at the end of that, obviously they get a score. They need to pass a certain threshold to be able to go into the live demos. And I think the, the key thing is there's two elements, like that learning on the job where the manager's supporting them, uh, giving them guidance, real-time guidance at the end of that role plays that come on the back of it. But also as well, like, if you've got high performers in the organization and you've got software, and I know we're going to talk about some software later that we utilize like software, like Gong, um, Gong and Jiminy, stuff like that, build out a catalog um, of what, what best in class looks like from uh, your highest performing reps. And that really breeds that, um, that consistency and high performance. If, if they start off very, very early and they, they don't build their own narrative on how to tackle certain objections, they know from day one, this is how I need to tackle that. This is how I tackle the competition. Called from live calls. That's that's a really good uh, learning resource. But it's, I wouldn't say it's as structured as what Dave's is. Like we have that week, mm. uh, that week training. I think the complexity of an AE role is very different, right? Like it's yeah, it, it extends so much, so much beyond. There's so many nuances that come on the back of it that you're not going to be able to train every single person on that. Um, but that's really why we have the manager there to support um, and give that guidance and so that that leads us to our next point which is like high impact coaching so for people that are doing coaching let us know how you go about it in the chat if you have questions feel free to chime in as we're talking and when when you think about coaching 
it's a something that is on a continuous basis. You know, even done training myself, it's like, okay, training is a point in time, coaching is ongoing. So when you look at coaching, John, going back to you, you obviously said there's nuances, right, within the AE role. Uh, there's different skill sets. There's also the 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 mindset of the rep, right? You probably got to play therapist from time to time. Dave, Dave probably knows all about this too, so we're going to talk about that. But how, what are you coaching to, right, yeah. when you have your AEs, and do you have breakdowns and what i mean by breakdowns is okay discovery what's their prospecting skills what's their x skills and how are you coaching to that and how are you coaching your leaders to be prepared for that as well that's a really cool question um so there's different elements of coaching that we have so we do like we do individual sessions where we review the calls and then we stick to that framework right so very similar it's almost identical to what we do for when we do the a interview um like we we've break down the particular call would have a scorecard for net new demo have a scorecard for negotiation we'll have a scorecard for like a procurement negotiation call um and then the manager would go through that with the reps uh, to make sure they're aligned and they're hitting the right the right um questioning and like the right course actions on the back of that so absolutely that individual time like that's rep to manager and uh like really dissecting live calls that's really where we spend a lot of our time the other element of it is like group setting as well um so to make it and this is one thing that i think is really really important when you are scaling is that that teamwork element of like we're in this together um and we're all going to succeed if everyone everyone else is uh everyone else is performing so we do have like uh, group sessions weekly where we dissect a call it's it's, a, it's not a exercise where people feel scared going into that it's really everyone's there collaborating sharing information so we do actively encourage like our reps to give information and I, I think that's a really good thing as well like our managers are not necessarily the best salespeople because uh, they might have been out, out of the game for a little bit of time but having them and the reps like helping each other lifting each other up like I think mentorship's a big one as well we we mentor everyone junior reps to senior reps um, and just give a different outlet of perspective when they've got a particular issue um, so yeah that's that is a coaching. Like we do scorecards, we do group settings mm. as well. Um, quick, quick answer on this one. You said mentorship. Is that you are mentoring certain reps? Do are there senior AEs tagged with junior AEs? How does that work? Yeah, exactly that. So we yes. look for people that have, and this is where it comes down to that gap analysis. Like we look where yeah. a gap of the potential AEs, and we look at another AE and say this AE is brilliant at. Uh, yeah, prospects in an example, like building that new pipeline every single time or multi friends mm. get new people in. We would identify that and then we'll pair them up. And we also do that as well for anyone who's got like cross-regional teams. We do that on a cross-regional basis as well, just to ensure that they're, again, like we don't have unhealthy relations between two particular regions. Right. And that's worked really well. Okay. No, that's extremely helpful. And, and Dave, going to you, similar question. So you have people that are, under you that are managers that are coaching the reps you obviously from time to time we'll get into the coaching if you need to how are you gauging where you need to be coaching i know that you mentioned weekly cadences so you're probably that's probably part of what the coaching that you're doing but how are you going about this yeah so we have this really interesting tool that we use called the we, we called it the cognizant 17 it wasn't original thought there's so someone could probably tell me i think there was a <laughs> book that someone read and then like that Got, I, I don't know uh, but uh, that's how it always starts network, yeah what well, well, someone from my network recommended it and it, it's a great idea but i can't not, not something i can complain uh, uh, claim myself but essentially it's 17 different parts of the sdr role 
Um, and at the start of every month, each SDR is asked to rank themselves one to five against like each of those uh, skills. There's, um, you know, there's stuff that is objective. So, for example, um, you know, the, the amount of dials that they made that for the month previous, it could be, um, you know, their, their squow rate, like the, the, the amount of meetings that are turning, turning into squows. Um, and those are really clearly benchmarked. But then there's some, some stuff that's really subjective. It's things like, you know, how well do you know our enrichment use case, um, for example, or like marketing use case. Um, uh, or a sales use case, etc. Or you know what, like how your intro, like how does your how's your intro stack up? Um, and they they grade themselves one to five, and then um, the idea is the manager sits with them at the start of the month um, and will go through those, and and it's a really great way of identifying the uh, coach the focus areas for coaching um, for one to one coaching for the rest of the month. Um, and it's a, uh, what we've seen is the especially good about it is the fact that sometimes um, people feel like they've solved SDRing, or, you know, or sales in general, I think like you've been mm. in the role for a couple of years or whatever, you feel like you've solved it. So um, this is a really good, great way of pointing out, like maybe it's, maybe there is literally only one thing that someone could be working on. Um, and, uh, but there is always one thing. And so that's kind of how we, we, we focus on like kind of the heart, the, the priorities in terms of coaching for an individual. Um, and then if we see any themes within that, then obviously that really dictates the um, general coaching that we'll do to the, to the team. So we got the, you got the right reps on board. We have the coaching in board. And a lot of people are asking about this is the outbound strategy. Now, obviously this is going to look different from the SDR and the AE perspective, but David, we're going to come back to you real quick. You know, you're coaching the reps on what they need to do skill wise and how they need to go about it. What are the things that you're teaching people in the outbound strategy? Let's go with like maybe three things. You're like, when you do outbound, these are things to do. I know you're probably going to mention your how you're doing intro and cold calling, so we know that's going to be a part of it. But what are like the three go tos that Europe's have to be doing to be successful? Uh, that's it. Very. I, I I don't know how I could summarize it in just three. Um, okay, so very simply, I see outbound as like a funnel or like uh, yeah. SDRing as a funnel. So um, the first thing that every SDR has to do is they have to do they have to do the activity. Um, uh, now, traditional, I think traditional sales leaders will really see the activity as a quantity metric. So, like, just do as much as physically possible. And then that's how everything will be solved if we just keep doing and doing and doing. And I agree that to a certain extent, we need to do more. Um, but I see activity as really three things uh, do as much as possible, uh, but do it um, in the right way. And when I say in the right way, I mean, like, um, you need to think about your overall approach. Uh, I'm a big believer in a multi-channel approach in general, but like we definitely have a weighting towards um, calling. We love like voice notes on LinkedIn as like a channel. So, so you know, uh, that's the, that's the how. And then, um, and then the third thing would be the to to who. And that's really like understanding your ICPs to make sure you're only reaching out in a perfect world. You're only reaching out to people uh, within your ICP that are interested, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know that like we. When we first onboard reps, one of the most common mistakes is they start populating heads of sales engineering in, which is not really a job title that works, but it does make sense. So we, we need to make sure we're educating mm. on ICP like from from the start. Um, and then uh, and then once you we you know once the activity is happening, then really it's about the quality of activity. So that's the conversation. So it's um, you know like do they understand like 
the way that we're really improving the quality of the conversations our SDRs are having is we have a heavy, heavy focus on understanding what our prospects day to day is and therefore what their pains, challenges and goals might be. Um, so um, and then ultimately, like then how we as a business solve them. And that's literally how we train it. We, we sit down and we say, look, like, you know, OK, talk us through a head of sales. Like, tell us about what their day to day might be. What is their overall goal that is set for them as a by the business what might be potential blockers you know like what, what keeps them up at night etc um and then and then fixing from there um and then the third thing is um that you know like ultimately like that should obviously lead to meetings and then the third thing is is probably just like how we can make sure those meetings are turning up and the handover process in general so you know like uh um yeah like we 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 see massive fluctuations in in attendance rate from when people first start to, to when they when they've been in the role for a while and there's lots of factors that come into that but like having a really tight process there i think will probably be the third person uh, third bit that's really important if i was limited to only three <laughs> yeah you didn't you didn't like being limited to three you wanted to go crazy with it <laughs> It's a very open ended. Uh, <laughs> no, it is. I mean, you could go to a lot of places, but I think the ways that you nail it down is important. Um, how do you go about looking at it each quarter? And it, 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 it might be the same, but how do you look at it each quarter when it comes to the channels that you prospect and the ICP you go after? And what I mean by that is, are you noticing, oh, well, we're getting more meetings with the CRO, so we need to double down, or we're starting to get more meetings on LinkedIn, guys, we need to change strategy. Like, how do you think about that? It's a great, yeah, great question. So we we definitely have a we definitely have a view on um, which we can see really cl clearly on the channels that are working. Um, uh, every meeting that's booked, the SDRs will self-report where the ultimately they feel like what channel they felt won us the meeting. So it's not absolutely perfect, but it's it's kind of um, I prefer that because you know sometimes you. Uh, an SDR will spark up the conversation on LinkedIn, but then, but then it, it'll switch to a call. And you know, for me, like it's what sparks the conversation as opposed to what finishes the conversation mm -hmm. as the channel that matters. So we have a really good view on that. I'll be honest, quarter on quarter, or every time I check, it's pretty, it's virtually the same. It's not changed for you know four and a half years really. Um, so um, so yeah, it's it's probably not something that that. I don't have a rigid structure, but I'm probably checking that like monthly. I kind of like definitely get a view on it. Um, and then in terms of job titles, job, job titles is an interesting one, right? Because um, what we find for our particular product is, is especially as we've gone up market into enterprise, is that it's harder and harder for us to understand like what job titles actually matter or like, sorry, not, not what mattered. Um, uh, it, what we know is that there's a wide range of people that can be in charge of the the, the contact data tool. Now, there's some overall themes that, that we know we definitely have like more, um, we, we break into more accounts through sales than marketing. So we, we would start with sales, but um, yeah, I, you know, like, again, it's something that we look at, but I, I think perhaps we could be doing more. Morgan, maybe you've, you've told us part of the blueprint that's missing here <laughs> okay i'm just i'm just trying to you know uncover little gaps and just make it better dave that's all that's it's all good, i'm here for good. every day's a learning day I'm, you know tomorrow i'm gonna i'm gonna get the RevOps team to stop everything they're doing to analyze our job title uh, <laughs> yeah they should they're gonna love you for it <laughs> <laughs> no but that's great i mean that's that's the key right is finding those angles could be small that can amplify the business. So now shifting over to John here, there's a, there's a couple I of just, 
Could yeah, I, go, go, can yeah, I just go. add one thing on? Because because yeah, obviously, like you know, I I think I think um I, I think a lot of this is about like what what myself and John have seen over the over the years, and maybe John, you're going to uh, about to completely disagree with me on this, but I think that there's I, I know from speaking to a lot of companies that come and ask me for loads of advice. I think that there are some there are some companies that are like so try and be so aggressively data driven about sales that it actually becomes a disadvantage to them. Um, now, you know, we have a fantastic RevOps team. They deliver us really great data, but you know, like uh, there is a huge to sales. There's a huge human side. And one thing John mentioned earlier is the, is this collaboration piece and just sitting down, you know, the AEs and getting them to like, you know, talk to each other about what best practices and things like that and how that's shifting. And I think, I think having that culture is often like way more important than having like exactly the, you know, like trying to work out exactly the data. Cause I think it can tell you the wrong things often. Right. Um, and, and not paint the perfect picture. It could just be, you know, I, um, I spent three months working on, um, working on attendance rates, my SDRs teams attendance rates. And although I just mentioned it being really important, yeah. um, I was surprised when when ops presented me some data that showed that it was wrong. Oh, sorry, that showed that it was it was low. Um, but then I looked at. But then after three months, where I didn't see an improvement, I looked into the report and the way that they'd built the data was kind of there was an error in it. And so I was doing all this work on this data piece when actually like the the there wasn't a problem is 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 what I'm saying right and that like so mm-hmm. I think I think for everybody like really finding that balance between the human side and the data side is also like incredibly important um, and uh, yeah definitely not taking anything away from the data but like you know I, I think I think some people can be too focused on on that side of things when it comes to what is a really human uh, job right in sales. No, I think that's actually a great point. Analyzing the data within the data, right? Which is absolutely critical, uh, which leads to this question that's got put up here. Uh, and then also someone asked a question on, does Cognizant tool typically replace or does it supplement enhance? I know y'all can tackle that one, but let's let's get to this one first, which is, hey, I have a huge sales team of one, an account executive. So outbound for me has been, uh, has to be totally scalable and automated via marketing. Any, any ideas that usually work well? So John, if you want to tackle that. Um, I'm a big component, like the best channel is always going to be the phone. Like if you've got an AE, like get them on the phone to contact and call people. Like it's, I get what you're saying. There has to be volume coming through, but I think it really depends on the segment you're targeting. If you're targeting enterprise, like that is not going to work. I think personalization is absolutely key at the moment and breaking, uh, breaking into these accounts. I think. A good example, our CEO's been harping on this. I'm sure you've seen it somewhere, but like the Zoom CEO, uh, sorry, the Zoom CRO or it was the C-suite individual CFO. So they will not have a conversation today unless you're getting information from her team uh, on what the actual implication of pain is on the ground for the reps. And then you go to her with that information. Like, I, I don't think that if you're targeting enterprise accounts that having a, like a, unpersonalized approach via like a LinkedIn bot is going to break into these accounts. All you're going to get is happy is people that don't want to do their job and just love going on demos all the time. If you want to break <laughs> into the true accounts where people actually want to buy, you need to go in with some pain. So I'd say like big component, pick up the phone, talk to people, get some insight and then, and then go out and more really quick, just on Dave's previous point, I think that's really, for me, yeah, the biggest learning is like when, when you're very early that, Revenue to revenue, right? You just need to get revenue on the board. 
Like that's the most important thing. You need to hit this number to grow, to hit your series A, hit your series B if you're venture backed, right? When you get to like a, a B or C, there's a distinction then between good revenue and bad revenue. And that's really where this ADM strategy comes into play, bringing in good fit accounts, because what's going to happen if you don't bring in good revenue at the point of like a series B, you're going to get a very, very leaky bucket and the customers that you're bringing on are inevitably going to churn. And your numbers are still going to be, you still need to hit 100% year on your growth or 80% year on your growth. All it's doing is going to put so much pressure on your sales team to fit, like counteract that leaky bucket. So I fully agree with Dave. Like data is very important that you monitor it. But when you're very, very early, it's just getting getting companies in. So you're actually building a catalog of data um, so that you can actually make good decisions. And if you don't have the, those customers in initially to begin with, you're never going to be able to make good good data decisions. Um, and we were very spray and pray when we started. Like we we bought in an abundance of customers, like some really bad fits and really good fits. But you don't know what's good and bad unless you actually bring them in as a customer initially. Dave, you wanted to add something? I was just going to tell a story of how John, as an AE back in 2018, was being told to take time out of his day to literally, uh, someone would be like, oh, maybe we should target events. And then John would just have to go and pull a list of people from events companies and just upload it himself manually to Salesforce so that the SDRs could go and tackle it. And that's really like, you know, just, just reinforcing that, that spray and pair approach, but it was all based on what, that wasn't a data driven decision. That was, that was based on like, Oh, we've had a couple of good, good conversations in events. Let's just, Mm. let's try it out harder and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. And it works, right? Like I think the, the key thing here is when you find something that works and it's sticky and you know that you can sign, especially early and you know that you can sign these customers my old manager used to say it was like 70, 30, like 70%. Once you find a fit, double down on that. The 30% you then iterate and you try and find new avenues because you are going to exhaust that little finite ICP initially. And then you just keep iterating on that um, until you can actually kind of scale out. No, I think that I think that's a great approach. And then that leads into just some other, you know, we're talking about this, the tech pieces, but here's some just other tech stack best practices john i don't know if you want to speak to this or dave real quick like out of these texts i mean obviously cognizance helping you out on the data back end but anything else here that like you're like oh okay like this tool's been massive for us and here's why maybe this is the moment that we ask answer josh adams is uh yeah 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 so josh josh uh, cognizant isn't a crm it uh we really are we see ourselves as the fuel for crm we provide um contact data um for the prospects that will be in your crm um so we're salesforce users we obviously use cognizant to pull in that data um and I, I think like me and john will be aligned we're biased but we'll be aligned that those are the two most important uh pieces of equipment in our in our tool set um i think for me you know, probably the most important tool outside of that, especially considering I run the SDR team, is outreach. Um, you know, I, I think it's really important to have. We essentially use outreach as like our playbook for the SDRs. We we build uh, we build sequences for them. They then you know know which depending on which like uh, what the situation is, they'll put the uh, prospect into one of those those cadences and then they basically just have to follow the flow, right? And so it's really just giving them that, that playbook. I think some people are using outreach for the SDR teams to automate as much as possible. Um, I'm, uh, I, I'm starting to, like, we virtually have, I think we have, 
virtually zero automated emails going out nowadays or automated messages at all. So we're not using outreach for the automation. We're really using it for the playbook, right? Like to, to that's where we write our playbook for, for the reps. And that's, that's the way I see it. So outreach would definitely be the most important to me. Uh, but all the, everything else listed is super valuable as well. I don't know whether John, you've got a view. Yeah. I was going to say out of the list presenters here, I think Gong's probably my, my favorite one, I think like actually getting into the nitty gritty, not relying on hearsay um, and actually being able to dig into the individual calls. And I think the way the AI is like developing in terms of like, uh, like what's the correct word for it? Like speech, like trans- transferring the speech into text. What's the word for that movie? I think on the spot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, uh, transcripts. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Transcript. That's yeah, what I was trying yeah. to think. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, the transcript element is absolutely superb. And I think, it's really, really good for an AE perspective, like being able to identify deals that have at risk, um, giving you a top level overview of your pipeline. Like the way they're moving the product is very, very good for AE pipeline management. Um, so I say that's probably my favorite, but I think irrespective of the software, the softwares aren't talking to each other. Um, like that's that's the key thing here. Like don't just buy an abundance of software. Like it, it needs to all integrate into the same tech stack. There needs to be adoption. Adoption is the biggest thing when you buy these technologies. There's no adoption. Can do the best thing in the world, but the team's not using it. And they don't see the value. No point having it. So I think these four are ones that we've got quite implemented, adopted, integrated into Salesforce, and they have a play. They have a place in a salesperson's day to day, and I think that's really the key thing when you buy software. Is like this is the salesperson's day to day. Where does it fit into that, or what is it going to replace? Um, and that's the kind of way that we do our, our tech stack. I think I think one other thing to add here is um, a lot of solutions. We see a lot of solutions moving to try and be all in ones, um, and I think one thing Cognizant has always done is we've not uh, been cheap when it comes to um, our like tech stack for our sales team. You know, um, Cognizant made the decision to get Salesforce which is obviously the most expensive CRM in the market. When, John, it must have been, must have had about three reps, three, S, three salespeople. Um, when he, you know, when easily we could have gone on pipe drive or, you know, I don't know, yeah, like a Zoho type, type tool. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've always heavily invested. And I think, I think um, there's a lot of uh, narrative at the moment around consolidation of tech stack. But um, for us, um, you know, okay, it's great if, if, if there's an all-in-one solution, that is genuinely the best in class at each bit. Fantastic. But I would, as long as they're talking to each other, just like John mentioned, I'd rather have the best in class solution um, in, in each area than just, you know, have one on the same, same, uh, have uh, two, you know, average solutions, but on the same platform. Um, And I think that's what, what, what we see in our tech stack today. No, I think those are, Awesome breakdowns. And uh, there's a question that just came in here and we will uh, touch it real quick. We're going to go to forecasting. So John, we're going to see you up for that. But here, helpful information related to the overall core tech stack. Thinking about this, does this apply to sales, business development, professional services, consulting and advisory services? Or do you think it strictly applies to SaaS products? So really going over that tech stack again. I, I mean, I would say it applies to I mean, it's contextual, but I think a lot of them do apply to all places. It depends how you're using it. But obviously, you all let us know what you think. 
Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, personally, I think it's it, it doesn't matter, right? Like, I think I think SAS has been, I think SAS and the, the tech scene has been the first to adopt some of these um, amazing technologies that have come, these amazing SAS products that have come. Um, I think a lot of that is because, you know, it, you know, we're a SaaS product, so we know the value of other SaaS products, but um, and and you know other other uh, industries are perhaps lagging behind. But if you're in one of those industries, um, I would highly recommend giving some of these these tools a go and like really focusing on the tech stack because it might be a massive edge. Um, you know, we have a DAC team, we have a, um, a, a an office based out in Germany. Uh, there's a lot of kind of old older manufacturing uh, companies in that economy and we're seeing um already that a lot of these companies are really focused on digital transformation already at the moment because they're realizing that, that they're still that that some of their methods are outdated um and and they're seeing a lot of value very quickly so um yeah that's that's uh, that's that would be my view john i don't know whether there's anything you want to add no, I was going to say like exactly as Dave said. I think it's very transferable. I think SaaS has always been like the, the first to adopt. Um, but yeah, I think it's for example like looking into particular things like lead routing and stuff like that. Like that's that's really what Chili Piper does. Like that, irrespective of industry that you serve, you probably want certain deals going to certain reps that have a higher close rate or sit in a particular industry vertical. So, like, there's definitely software that's relatable to any industry. It's completely agnostic. I suppose like stuff like Gong, which is, I would say more done like web recordings like this, like over internet calls and closing remotely. Gong's probably transferable. Is it probably face-to-face engagement? Probably not. So like elements like that are something to take into account when you review these technologies. No, I think those those are all great answers there. We have about ten minutes, so we're gonna we're gonna quickly go to uh, these questions follow up that you'll have. Craig, we'll answer Craig's question and then we'll wrap up on these last two points. Uh, the question here is: We're about to go to a strategy session for our SME SaaS provider. How do you guys go about setting ICPs, and what's the steps you go through to think about how to target them? So, if it's someone wants to answer that, we'll go through these last two slides and then answer the quick questions, and we'll be out of here for today. Yeah, I think the key. LinkedIn sales insights. Um, well, can you hear me? Okay. Well, Yo, we just... you're good. You win it. You're good now. You're good. Um, yeah. So we use LinkedIn sales insights. So what we do there is we look to get gather as much information. So technographic technographic data is probably one of the key drivers here. So of the available accounts that we can sell to, and this is really when you get very strategic in your outbound. Like you've only got five reps, right? And you've got a million accounts that you can service. Of those a million accounts, which ones are going to have the highest ACV, the highest win rate? um and the quickest quickest to sell that's really where you use your technographic data to come into play um so look at stuff like what technology stack they've got what particular job titles are sitting in those accounts and a lot of that information you're going to get is coming from your existing customer base um and that's really like replicating your best fit customers finding those in that available tam and then giving them to um your reps that's the way that we do it um and everything is as we discussed earlier, like account-based. So work out on what segment they're working in, what's the maximum number of accounts that a rep can service in that segment. If it's commercial they or SMB, they can probably hold a lot more than your enterprise and strategic reps. Um, so think about like how the dynamics of the team work and what structures you put in place. Um, but yeah, set an ICPs, look at your customer base, like what, what your high-performing customers replicate them. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think in terms of uh, targeting them, like it, you know, to be honest, a lot of it comes down to trial and error. 
you know, we 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 tried the phone, we've tried emails, we've tried um, LinkedIn. You know, when we see something, we see a new channel like evolve, like we've seen it online. We'll, we'll you know, we'll we'll try it out and give it a go and see see if it's if it works. And then if it does, we double down on it. I think one of the key things for any leaders is really giving your sales team. Uh, you know, given the playbooks and the enablement and training to show them like, okay, this is what's working today, but also within that structure, allowing them some flexibility to explore these new options. And what you'll see is like, naturally, uh, people will, will kind of go and ex- um, explore new new ideas. And then you'll, you should see it in the data that that's, that's doing well. And then you double down on that. And that's obviously true of channels, but it's also true of like the messaging that that, that is being sent. Or, you know, I think, I think like we, John mentioned it earlier, but we're, we're finding a lot of success with a bottom-up approach today, um, and I think that kind of naturally evolved f- like from from the team trying it out and seeing the success, and and kind of and now it's a, now that is a, a very heavy piece of our playbook overall. Awesome. Hopefully that helped answer the question, Craig. Let us know if we need more clarification there. Um, as we have about like five minutes left. Quickly, John, tell us about how do you look at forecasting? We were talking about obviously filling the pipeline. We were talking about coaching, but obviously you have to forecast appropriately. So what are you doing uniquely at Cognizant with the team? And what are some actual insights that people could take away so they could start doing this with their teams? Yes, yeah, I'll try and be pretty quick on this because I know we've got a few slides to go through. So, um, yeah, so how we do forecasting, I think there's gut and then there's also like the statistical maths element that comes into into it. And they're both they both have a part to play in this. So... I think the methodology that you roll out, so for example, like a med pick or something like that, that really defines and vets the quality of, of the pipeline. So are they meeting this criteria? Have they got the right um, components for the stage of the sales cycle that they're at? That's really what your managers should be like vetting in their pipeline reviews um, and really questioning the rep on the ACV, the close date, have they got the right people involved? What gaps are missing in that? If you've got a regimented process like that, like that's a really, really good way to ensure that forecasting is accurate. And rep managers do this on a weekly basis with the reps, uh, dissect every single deal that they're working, validate it, check it. And then the manager is very, very confident in the forecast that they can pull from the reps when the reps submit their own individual forecasts. So that's one way we look at it is kind of rep led, manager led, they submit their own. Then we have the other variants of that, which is kind of, AI-led, like technology-led. So we use a, a company called Cluster that looks at all our statistical data, looks at uh, past win rates of pipeline, our commit, our best case, and it will spit out a number that says what we're likely to land on for the month and the quarter using a variation of the two. And if, if you've got a very, very good sales team and you're following your methodology correct, like they should land around a similar number. Um, and if they're really off, then there's a, there's a big disconnect, right? Like you, your reps have either got happy ears or they're very, um, they're under, under committing what's likely to come in. So I think having a, a basis of the both is like a really good balance. Um, but one thing that's really important, something we're working on now, um, which we've been advised to do is like, look at pivotal points in your sales cycle. So for us, if to a point mm-hmm. is like our validation. So when we run a trial, really spend time on that and have like a gateway um, and make sure that everything's correct before they move on to the next point of the sales cycle. And if you do that and create like two or three like pivotal events that take place in your sale, have the manager spend a lot of time with the reps on that. That just ensures that the pipeline they're building is actually quality pipeline. But yeah, forecasting it is rep led, 
and then kind of AI led, and then we find the balance between the two. Awesome. I like how you're using the AI in there, not as like the North Star, but as a compliment to what you're doing as a whole. And so hopefully that was insightful. I know someone mentioned forecasting. They want to dive into that. Now, again, as we have about three minutes left here, if you both want to quickly talk about your best practice when it comes to commission plans, if anyone has a question that's like a quick hit, let us know in the chat. But this is what we're going to wrap up on uh, as we get out of here. Yeah, so on the SDR side with commission plans, the one thing that me and uh, John are both pretty aligned on is we try and uh, pay at SDRs on, on objective things. And for us, that is uh, meetings attended. So, you know, um, we we give them books of business. They're clear on our ICP. And, um, yeah, they just have to get people into conversation with our AEs. And if they do that, then the, the box is ticked and, uh, and they uh, get paid. And then um, we actually give them a kicker on closed one revenue because, again, that's objective. It's either closed or it's not. They've either signed the contract or not. Um, I know a lot of STR teams that are um, – or we actually had an old model um, where we did an SQO system. It was based off of ANT um, and uh, authority needing time. We found that AEs would judge authority needing time very differently, and that would cr create create – to be honest, like a lot of animosity and we, you know, us leaders were spending most of our time like dealing with disputes uh, within that as opposed to anything else. So um, we moved away from that. We really want to keep it as objective as possible. I think there is a place for an SQO type system or an, uh, a SAL type system, but I'd really, my advice would be to try and keep it um make uh, sales be judged on very objective measures um if you can um uh so you know for example like what crm they use it's a it, you know it uh one of the criteria could be yeah if they use salesforce then then it's a sale um etc etc so uh, that's how we think about um our commission plans for SCS. uh quick question quick question here the boxes tick when the ae starts talking to the sql or it's ticked if the ae accepts it so we we done it based on when we've done SQOs, like we've done it based on BAMP, so um, budget authority need time. When it met that criteria is when it moved up. Today we do it, we still have a, a SQO system, but the reps aren't actually quoted on it. Um, it's really just a back-end reporting that we know that there's a consistency. So we do that when it hits like a validation. So when we're, when we're running a trial, um, that's when it would be an SQO or SQL. Morgan, I was going to say like one thing that was really, really, I, I absolutely love this quote the other day. Um, mm. Someone shared this, um, an actual commission software company called Cobra shared it. Um, but I really love the quote. It was like, whether you're a CEO or VP of sales, sales compensation plan is probably the most powerful tool you have. And I've actually seen that like firsthand. Like when we, really, really good story. I've done a LinkedIn post on this. Like we, uh, one of the key of drivers for the business was like trying to get to uh, multi-year contracts um, mm. and get them consistently sold. Like, guess how we achieved that? Like, we we doubled this in the space of three months. Like, we paid the sales guys on it. Like, we changed the commission plan to give them more money, give them accelerators when they done that, and it instantly changed their behavior. Um, so I think it really goes back to Dave's point. Like, think about your business and what objectives you want to drive, and make sure that your sales guys are paid on that, and you're paying mm. them additional stuff on that, and then you will absolutely get the um, output that you want on the back of that. I love that. It's great. It's a great quote. I think that a lot of people don't 
think about it in that way, but I think it's the best way to think about it, right? Incentivize your people and you all will be incentivized, right? So it just makes a ton of sense. As we wrap up here, we're right on time. Any lasting thoughts that y'all want to give to the audience on what to do and appreciate everybody hanging in here. Hopefully you got something helpful out of this and it was great insight, but anything y'all want to leave on a note and where can people find you if they do have questions? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the key thing for, for me is we, as we've gone through this scale, like I think really there's numbers and then there's people and the people drive the numbers and like making sure that you've got your strong people and they're developing and they're staying in the business. Like if you lose some of your top performers that can stifle growth for such a, such a long period of time. And it's really difficult mm -hmm. to replace those people. So like really spend time with your team, make sure that they, they feel valued and there's development past them. Um, and that that's really the reason why we've been very successful is we've kept a lot of our highest performers in the organization for a long period of time. They're built on very specialist market knowledge that our competitors just can't compete with. Um, and we come across as experts when we, when we speak about like data in particular. Love it. Dave, anything you want to end on? Oh, totally back, totally back that. We have a lot of fun. That's what helps us, uh, ha helps us keep people right. Like we, um, <laughs> We, we, we really balance things and um, we have a fantastic CEO who's taught us to like really reward our people for the good work that they do and not again like we're not cheap when it comes to um, you know we just did, me and John were fortunate enough to just do an all expenses paid for uh, President's Club like to, to to Croatia like you know long weekend and we had like 30 of our salespeople on that and I know lots of companies doing President's Club that's fantastic but you know uh, when we first started he took the whole company away for a whole weekend and, and things like that so um yeah the numbers are the numbers but like it again i'm just gonna echo john because i think it's so important that that um you've got keep your people happy and and i think the, and if you've if you've hired the right people and you're keeping them happy then the rest will just fall into place Love that. well john dave thanks for taking your time here today hopefully again everyone found this to be insightful and we'll see you all in the next one and y'all have a good one thanks everybody Bye.